Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. on the series, People of the Way. People of the Way, I want to take you to Acts chapter 9, verse number, verse number 1. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters. He asked for letters from that high priest to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any people of the way, any who were of that way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. People of the way are people who have come to trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And this man, Saul, was vicious. And we talk about dragging people back to Jerusalem in chains, men and women. Remember, this is Paul who stood over the execution of one of the first deacons of the church. And so when he's talking about dragging these men and women back to Jerusalem, he's talking about murder. Legal murder. Y'all ought to think about that for a second. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. And he dragged, he was, he was, his intention was to drag these people back to Jerusalem to slaughter them. There's, just, there's something that's interesting though. They were people of the way. There was a distinctive nature to their, these people. There was a way that they could be found right? You follow what I'm saying? Like he's going to the city of Damascus and he knows that he's going to find them because they're distinct. People of the way knew Jesus, were known by Jesus, and were known because of Jesus. And the last time we preached this opening, this series, we focused on the first two parts of that. They knew Jesus and they were known by Jesus. Now I was having a conversation with someone the other day and, and, um, He's kind of talking about good works and good deeds and things of that nature. And listen, you have to know Jesus and be known by Jesus, not just talk about Jesus. There are people that serve in churches and serve in soup kitchens and serve in ministries around the world. And they sacrifice more than you do, but they don't know Jesus. They only know about him. And Jesus said, man, listen, in that day, many shall come unto me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? You follow what I'm saying? There's people that are not people of the way. They just name the name of Jesus. They don't believe that he is God in the flesh. They don't believe that his death on the cross was sufficient to wash away their sin. And they serve with a hope of earning salvation. And when they do that, in a sense, they're demeaning the sacrifice of Jesus. People of the way knew Jesus, were known by Jesus, and were known because of Jesus. He is the way to eternal life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, and the Father is in heaven, so no one gets to heaven unless they go through the way that is Jesus. But what about the world around us? 
Now that's us. Like I know I'm a person of the way because I know Jesus and Jesus knows me. As a matter of fact, I was praying with a family member last night and I said, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Help us to see you. Help us to know what you're doing here. Help us to know where you're at and, and what's happening. Uh, give us this comfort. Give us this strength so we can know you're here because he knows me and I know him and I know that he walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death, right? We are not alone when we're going through the valley. And so that's my prayer, and I'm looking to see where Jesus is. So I know him, he knows me, but what about others that don't know him yet? What about the world around us? What are the characteristics of some people who are not only saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but are following Jesus Christ? Now there's a distinction, I'm using that word a lot, so if I was writing a paper, I would think of a different word. There's a distinction between someone who is a believer in Jesus and someone who is a disciple of Jesus. And you can be a believer of Christ and you can backslide and you can follow at a distance like Nicodemus, the secret disciple. But the goal of being a person of the way and the goal of this series is to get you close to Jesus, friends. Like we need to be following hard after our Savior. The world needs us. This world is dying and going to a Christless, evil eternity. Every wicked thing you can think of that you absolutely hate is the eternity that people who don't know Jesus yet are facing. Somebody has said that the church is God's plan A for the salvation of the world and there is no plan B. We are the hands and the feet and the heart, and the mind of Christ. And if you're not following hard after him, it's going to be difficult for the people on the outside to recognize you. Now, Paul knew, I know what to look for. I know what's up with these people. There are certain characteristics that I'm looking for. And it's not skirts down to your knees. And it's not not listening to rock music. And it's not having a glass of wine. There are distinctive characteristics of these people of the way, and I'm going to find them, and I'm going to drag them back in chains. Now, that should encourage us to be people of the way. <laughs> Listen, guys. In my lifetime, we're probably going to see some of that. This, this, this world, this country is going down so fast. It's like a snowball gaining steam. 20. When did I answer the call to preach, Lord? 1998. I answered the call to preach. And you could see it then. You could see our country moving away from Judeo-Christian principles. You could see way back then, Pastor Z used to preach, oh, how great it is to live in a dark world because your little light shines so much brighter. And Boy, if he lived to see how dark the world has gotten. And it's moving at an ever-increasing rate, I think, toward the end times. Now, as they spoke to the people, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. As they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Uh, the, 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 they're, they're talking about Peter and John, right? They're speaking to the people. Uh, and, and being greatly disturbed, they taught the people, uh, that they taught the people and they preached Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. So here's Peter. 
He's preaching Jesus Christ crucified, risen again for the salvation of your eternal soul, for the resurrection of your physical body one day to be a perfect body like Christ. And he is preaching the word of God. And these, these, uh, these leaders, they came and laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And so Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. That's pretty cool. He's having a good old-fashioned revival meeting, and he's preaching the gospel, and 5,000 men come to Christ. Meanwhile, the preachers are taken away in shackles. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem when they had set them in the midst. Now, can you imagine this now? Imagine being called to Congress. It's almost exactly what you're talking about. You're going to go testify before Congress, and they're going to, they're going to interview you. And you've got three minutes on your microphone. They set him in the midst. Who do you think you are? By what power or by what name have you done this? <laughs> they listen to him preach. This is the typical politician. They already know the answer. And Peter, I love Peter. Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed, they healed a guy. He was lame. They healed him, and then they started preaching. If this day we're judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he's made well, let it be made known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. That does not sound like the same Peter who ran with his tail between his legs when a little girl said, oh, weren't you with Jesus? I don't know the man. This is the stone. Now, Peter's going to quote scripture. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and of John and perceived that they were uneducated men, they're just fishermen, they marveled. Huh? And they realized that these men had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, <laughs> they could say nothing against it. These are the, this is the same crowd that got angry at Jesus for healing a guy on the, on the Sabbath day. This crowd doesn't care about people. They care about their own power, in my opinion. I call them politicians? Yeah. Red, blue, left, right. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, get out of here, we got to talk, saying, what are we going to do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them 
that from now on they speak no more, uh, speak to no man in this name. Um, that cracks me up. Like, we can't do anything against them, but we're going to threaten them. Don't you dare do that again. What are my consequences? I'm going to say it again. Don't you dare do that again. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all in the, or, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, uh, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what was done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported that the chief priests and the elders, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, the church heard that, they raised their voice to God with, with one accord. Boy, can we use some of this today? With one accord. And said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain, useless, empty, vain things? The kings of earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for truly against your Holy Spirit Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand, your hand, God's hand to heal, and that signs and wonders be done through the name of Jesus, your holy servant. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled, the place where they were assembled together shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, and of one soul. And neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Man, this is the early church. It's exemplary. Boy, we need to get back to church today. Y'all hear that? We need to get back to church today. They had all things common they were together. They supported one another. They loved one another. They sacrificed for one another. They were united with one another. And the cause of Christ, the cause of the gospel, was greater than any political cause that they were facing in their day. Because they understood it's a matter of spiritual life and spiritual death, which is far greater than the matter of physical life and physical death. Church, we need to be church. We need to be the church. Y'all not, listen, Lord, 
Let's do this. Y'all need to stop coming to church on Sunday and thinking that you fulfilled your religious obligation and then walk away as if there's nothing more to do or nothing more to be and nothing more to say. Church is not a place you come. It's a thing you are. And listen, Paul, the apostle Saul back then knew this. I'm going to find these people because they are, oh Lord, thank you for this. They are who they are wherever they are. So it's going to be easy to find these people because they are who they are wherever they are. You can write that down. That's tweetable. First of all, these folks, man, these folks had been with Jesus. That's the first mark, man. The first thing we hear after this guy's been healed and they start preaching, right? These old fishermen, they're dragged in front of the council, the highly educated people, the scribes and the Pharisees, the rulers and the riches of the, of the kingdom, and they, and they interview them and they come away and they go, dude, they've been with Jesus, man. This is not good. It was obvious. It was, it was obvious that they had been with Jesus. I mentioned as I was opening here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69, this is what we hear about Peter, the guy that just preached the gospel, the guy that just went toe-to-toe with some of the most powerful people in the kingdom, the guy that went toe-to-toe with someone that was threatening him. Right? This is, this is Peter. Now, Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I, I don't know what you're saying. And, and when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied with an oath and said, I don't know the man. And still a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you're one of them. For your speech betrays you. And now he realized, okay, I have a mark on me. <laughs> they can tell I've been with Jesus, so I'm going to fix that. So he began to curse and to swear, saying, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. <laughs> Even when Peter was in the middle of denying, there was still a mark on him. Those of you guys that are far from God right now, you're a Christian, but you're not walking close. You, you've stopped giving, you've stopped sacrificing, you've stopped attending church, not because you're afraid of COVID, but because you're simply lazy and you've gotten into a bad habit and you're like, Pastor, I can't believe you're saying this. Well, somebody told me that themselves. I'm just repeating what they said to me. I said, hey man, I miss you, where you been? He's like, oh, we ought to have it. We got out of, we got out of the habit. We got out of the habit. You don't think the devil knows what he's doing, folks. So here's these poor Christians who told me we got out of the habit. Let me tell you what's happening. First of all, they're feeling conviction by the Holy Spirit. Second of all, they're feeling guilt and shame by the devil. Conviction of God, shame of the devil. All they have to do is confess and get right. Folks, if you have a, if you have a legitimate concern a medical concern. We have never and will never belittle anyone for staying home and being part of our online com congregation. As long as I'm the preacher here, if you need to stay home because of your health for a legitimate reason and a leader calls you out, picks on you, I will be the first one coming to your defense. But folks, the reality is we're going to Walmart, we're going to restaurants, we're going to here, we're going there, we're going here, we're going here, we're going there, we're going there. And maybe it's time to come here. Now, don't you all start judging. 
You're here. Don't start judging. You're no better than them. You're just better off at this moment. But we need to, you need to hear it. I get it. And again, this is a judgment-free zone, right? I, I'm not condemning people that have a legitimate concern. Please, hear me well. If you have a legitimate concern, you ought to be home. By the way, if you're sick, stay the flip home. I mean, I used, to be a, I used to be a King James only fundamental Baptist. Our creatures aren't always right, but they're never in doubt. And if I was sick, I came to church anyways. But God, by golly, I'm going to be faithful to God. And if I'm sick, I'm going to make it out there. And I'm going to stand there. And I'm going to preach. And I preach with strep throat. And I probably got half the congregation sick because I was an idiot. But I was faithful. I said. No, you're just dumb. So if you're sick, stay home. Uh, I digress. Here's Peter. Maybe God's giving me boldness. I don't know. Here's Peter. Runs away. What cracks me up is as I, as I was just reading this, I noticed the first two people that challenged Peter. Who were they? Couple girls. Now I know we live in a world where girl power. My son went to middle school in Hook City. He's like, Dad, it, it sucks to be a boy. I'm sorry, I apologize for that vernacular. It means it is unfortunate to be a boy today because everything is about girl power. And if you're a boy in school right now, you're basically looked on as a second-class citizen. It's, listen, man, it's out of the mouth of an eighth grader when he was eighth, seventh and eighth grade. Right? I'm just saying now, What's funny about this is it used to be women are more feminine than men. Men are more feminine than women. And here's reality. Men are on average stronger than women, bigger than women. And you always have the exception to the rule. Can I get an amen to that? You get an exception to the rule does not change the rule. That's why it's an exception to the rule. I have a girl on my Bull Bulldogs football team. She's better than half the boys. She's an exception to the rule. She is exceptional. But on average... Denser muscle, all of that kind of stuff. So what cracks me up is that Jesus made sure that Peter was going to be belittled by a little, not just a girl, but like a little girl. She's going to make him turn around and run. I think that's powerful. Now, if you're a girl and you're like, I can't believe you just said that. We're just the strongest guys. I have my brother Randy arm wrestle you. I'm not taking a chance that there's someone exceptional in here. I know no one in this building is going to beat my brother at arm wrestling. <laughs> Anyways, so these leaders, these leaders, I digress. We'll have to cut that out of the live feed, right? Can we do that? Um, these leaders who had an empty, listen, they had an empty and lifeless faith. They realized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. And this is the Peter, who we just read it. He was challenged by a couple little girls, and he turned tail and ran. And then he was caught again by a group of people. And they said, you, you, your speech betrays you. And then he's like, F and A. No, he's just cursing and swearing like, I know not the man. I swear to God above that I do not know the man. I mean, he invoked some powerful language to prove that he didn't know the man. Now, the teaching of Jesus, that he walked with Jesus, by the way, this is powerful. Jesus said, hey, don't swear. 
And when he said don't swear, he didn't say don't use the F word, don't use the A word. He said do not swear by the altar or what's on, on the altar, by heaven or by earth, because you don't have power. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. That Jesus taught Peter this, and Peter, what did he do? He swore. He swore I don't know the man. I swear it, I don't know him. So Peter's not in a good place. Anybody else not been in a good place? You've been saved, you've been a Christian, you're a follower of God, but you're not in a good place. I've been there, arguably I'm there right now. I've been there. You're not in a good place. And so Peter runs off, and as soon as the, the cock crow, the, the Bible later on talks about how, how he wept bitterly. He was so convicted, and he was so broken. He was, here's the thing with Peter. We're going to do a series on bitterness. Um, he was becoming bitter because God, God, God did not meet his expectations. Peter wept bitterly because God let him down. He didn't meet Peter's expectations, but here's the reality. God doesn't have to meet your expectation. He's God. Y'all got to meet his. He can do whatever he wants to do, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's good or bad or indifferent. God is God, and we are to worship him, not the other way around. And too many religions turn God into Santa Claus, and we are the God, and he is to worship us, and he is at our beck and call, and he is our genie in the bottle, and that is not the case. It can be a long sermon. Marks along the way. Let's go back to 4.12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. So first of all, I want to challenge you as you're here. What is your story? What is your story? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a story? Do you have a time where you came to faith in Christ? where one day you were lost and you were on your way to hell and the next day you came to faith in Christ and he became your master and your savior and your Lord. Do you remember that day? Do you have a day you might not know the date? But was there a time when you went from lost to found, dead to alive? October 7, 1987, in the other building over there, I came down under a preaching of a man named Tommy Stone who was having a revival and I came down to the altar. And I bowed, I bowed down at the altar, and I, I started arguing with God. And I knew I was a sinner, like I knew I was a mess, and that I didn't deserve heaven, and I didn't deserve forgiveness, but my issue was I didn't think God wanted to save me. Anybody feel that way? Like, I, I knew he could. I knew Jesus died on the cross. I knew he rose from the grave, but I wasn't so sure he was interested in me. Low self-esteem much? And so we had this argument, and he finally convinced me that he did want me. He did want to save me. He, he did die for my sin and rose from the grave. And that night, on I believe a Friday night, I asked Jesus to be my one and only personal Savior once for all time. And you know what he did? He saved me, kept his promise. He's never let me go. He's held me in his hand. Now, I've had doubts. I've had doubts that I've struggled with my salvation, partly because I'm, I'm, I'm a failure at times. I fall into sin, and I, and I struggle. Anybody else struggle? And then I started doubting, and then this is what an old preacher told me one day. He says, I take the devil by the scruff of his neck, and I bring him back to the place where I met Jesus. And I say this, if you've got an issue with me, take it up with him. And I let the doubts go. Because either Jesus saved me, or he's a liar, and God's not a liar, so... Go talk to Jesus for crying out loud. What's your story? What's your story? 
You all have a story. You ought to know your story. You know how encouraging it is to remember your story? What's your story? He hasn't failed me yet. That yet is saying, go back in time. Go back and look at the amazing, wonderful things that he's doing in your life. What is your story? Do you know Jesus? Those apart from Jesus, those who are on the outside, saw a real change in the people that came to faith. That's exemplified by this miracle, right? He, he makes the lame man walk. Can I tell you, God is still in the business of miracles today. Only he's the one that decides where and when and who and what. And sometimes he makes a decision to do a miracle, and other times he says, I'm calling you to suffering, and the miracle is going to be your endurance. And people will look to you, and what they will see is they will see Jesus, because here's the point of miracles. They point to Jesus. Miracles were always meant to confirm the truth of Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Son of God, the Messiah come to save the world. That is what miracles were about. Miracles weren't about Jesus walking around going, hey, look what I can do. It was I am, I am. Okay? So when we're looking for all these crazy miracles, remember this, if the miracle is pointing to the person that's the miracle worker, it's not a miracle from God. The miracle must always reveal Christ. The Holy Spirit, we love the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers Christians to walk and to follow and to do and to be. And the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. Anyways, what's your story? Do you have real life change? Are people looking at you saying, man, there was a time where I was, I was talking to a kid that, that didn't know Jesus, and he was really struggling with believing in God. Anyone ever talk to somebody like that? Well, this kid did something that offended me. Uh, and when I say this kid said, did something that offended me, I mean this kid did something. He was a kid, he was like, I don't know how old he was, late teens or something. He did something that offended me so badly. Are you tracking with me? I don't know if I've told the whole church this yet. He did something that offended me so badly that I sat across from him, and he was man enough not to run away from me. Because if I were him, I would have probably run away. When I walked in the room with this face, I would have probably went, and I sat down with him. I said, listen, man, I love you, and God loves you, and Jesus wants to be your Savior. And I know you're struggling with believing Jesus and God, but let me tell you something right here. The fact that I'm not killing you right now is proof that God exists. And I know you're looking at me and saying, but you're a pastor. Yeah, and God had hold of me because I would have killed him with love and affection. I, I was very angry and highly offended, but God had hold of me. And that's what we, when we talk about life change, let me tell you, I wasn't kidding when I said, you want proof of God? Here it is. I'm not grabbing you by the throat. I'm not even kicking you out of my house. I'm telling you Jesus loves you. And he wants you to be his child. Are people seeing life change in you? This man that, that was healed, let me tell you something. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're like, dude, we can't deny it. We can't deny it. It's visible. It's real. It's tangible. 
And again, God still does miracles to point to Christ. Those outside could not deny what they were seeing. Has your life changed? Has God, Jesus, made a difference in your life? That, that's the big question for today. And I want you to sit right now. I want you to just pause. Now, some of you have walked away from God. Some of you are, are coming back to him, and you're wondering, can he still use me? Can he still use me? I've been so far. I've been so far away. Listen to the song. He hasn't failed you yet. You might have failed him, but he hasn't failed you. And yes, he can still use you. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. I believe that with all my heart because in Corinthians, he took people home. He's like, okay, you're not ever going to come back. So guess where you're coming? You got a graduation early. You're coming home. The sad part about it is you lose out on the rewards and the benefits of throwing crowns and jewels at my feet. The second thing that was a mark of this church, the second thing, it's, it's so cool. They prayed for boldness. They, they prayed for boldness. There was a time not long ago, as I mentioned, that before John and Peter's arrest, they lacked boldness. Would you agree? Like they were hanging behind most of the disciples are completely scattered. And I think John kind of, because John did come to, the, to the, the place of the cross, but I think he was kind of like hanging behind because the Bible says they were scattered. And I think he was sort of hanging behind the women, hiding behind the women. And then, and then Jesus, when he was on the cross, he pointed out to Mary, behold thy son. And he pointed to John, behold thy mother. And he was telling John his best, by the way, John, I believe John, there's an argument for this, that he was Jesus' best friend on earth. And he looked at John, he, he gave him the greatest assignment he could ever give him. Take care of my mom. Take care of my mom. Okay, so the, the disciples are scattered. I would, I, I would say this, they lack some boldness, wouldn't you say so? They lack boldness, they were scared, they were hiding out in the upper room, wondering if the soldiers were coming for them next. But what happened? They gained boldness. Change comes over us the more time we spend with Jesus in prayer and in fellowship. The more time we walk with him, we will experience more change. We live in a fallen world and we have a fallen flesh that wants nothing to do with Jesus. And so in order for us to continue to have boldness or to grow in boldness, this isn't really a challenge to you saying, hey, you go out and be bold. That's not the challenge. It's this. We still ask God for these things. Church, we need to ask God for boldness. We need to ask God to, to have us be sold out for Jesus. We need to ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit so we can be about our Father's business. And that's from the top of this church to the bottom. I'm, I mean, that's from the pastors to the deacons to the worship team to the teachers to the members. We all need to pray this. If you're a leader in this church, you are not exempt because you have not arrived. Those of you that think being a pastor means you've arrived and, oh, you're spiritually perfect now. Dude, have you met me? We have not arrived. And we need to pray for boldness, and we need to pray for filling, and we need to pray for zeal. It's e Listen, you all don't think, it's easy for me to stand up on this stage and do this. If I'm being completely honest with you right now, it wasn't easy to get from that seat to this stage today, but it was easy to, it's easy to stand up and preach. God has called me to it. He has empowered me to do this. I love doing this. I never wanted to do it. 
You know what? It's hard. Y'all, for me, I'm shy. I am legit. Yeah, I'm legitimately shy. What's hard for me is to go outside those doors and do it. And I don't let me preach like this. It's not always an exposition and expository preaching and yelling and screaming. I'm just really passionate right now about this stuff. But guys, it's hard to do it outside there. What I think some of y'all don't get is this is my living room and you are my family. I, I mean that. You're my home. When I go outside of this place and I preach, it's not exactly the same. This is home. And so when I say, hey, Pat, and I say, oh, look at Pat. He looks nice today. Or, or, or maybe I pick on Randy or I pick on Art or something. And, and, and there's people that are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's doing that. It's public speaking. It's terrifying. No, guys, this is just my living room. I forget that you don't do this. Like, to me, this is just home. Folks, but going outside, I need boldness. I need confidence. I need courage. It doesn't come natural for me. It really doesn't. Here's what you have to do. You got to take that first step and ask. And then you got to take that second step and obey. I was driving down the street one day, Pine Street in Manchester, and there was a, there's a, a bar on the side of the road. It was a, a cold and slushy and nasty day, and I had just done a nursing home a worship service in a nursing home, so I had nice shoes on because I used to dress up nice. And, um, and uh, there's a guy sitting in the little alcove. I don't know if he was homeless or what his deal was, but as I'm driving by, the Holy Spirit said, pull over and talk to this guy. And I said, no, I got my nice shoes on. And it's nasty out there. You see what I'm saying, folks? The flesh wants nothing to do with Jesus. The flesh wants nothing to do with ministering to people that, that are at the dredges of humanity, that nobody else wants to give the time of day. The flesh wants nothing to do with it. And if the flesh does want something to do with it, it only wants it so that it gets the accolades. Oh, look at you serving in a soup kitchen. Aren't you just special? Nobody could see me. There was no soup kitchen. There were no neon signs. There was no ministry table. There was just a guy in an alcove sitting in a winter slush. I got to the set of lights on Pine and I think Merrimack. And the Lord's like, I told you to talk to him. And I'm like, so I pull over, and now i got to walk three times as the length if I'd have just pulled over. The first time I just obeyed, my feet would have been drier. Now i got to walk to this guy, and I just, I went down, I knelt down beside him. I said, hey, I just want to talk to you. My name's Eric. I'd like to invite you to my church. I wasn't the pastor of the church, by the way. I was just a guy. I just want to invite you to my church. He's like, would my kind be welcome to your church? I'm like, I don't see why not. What do you mean? You know, we're all sinners saved by grace. And he went on to tell me his story, and I went on to tell him that Jesus loved him. And I don't know what the result of that interaction was for him, but I know what it was for me. You follow? I just had to obey. So we need to pray for boldness, and, 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 and this is the other thing that, that, that Saul was looking for when he was breathing out threats, and he was taking those letters to go grab those women and men and drag them back in chains he was looking for people that had boldness, right? 
He was looking for people who had a distinctive, different way of life, like they loved instead of hated, helped instead of hurt, right? He was looking for people that loved their enemies. He was looking for people that were different, and he was looking for people that were united uh, in heart and in soul. He was looking for people that were united in heart and in soul. Church, this is probably one of the biggest plagues that our church is facing today. We face a church that has allowed politics and affiliations to destroy our unity. You know, in John chapter 17, it's the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. He prayed this prayer. He says, I pray that my people may be one. That was a prayer of Jesus. And you know, I used to be a part of a, a, of a group that, that, that lived by their differences. Independent Fundamental Baptists lived by their differences. And if another group claimed Jesus Christ and had the doctrine of salvation, gospel, the inerrant scriptures, but they believed differently with music or differently with dress or differently with missions, they would separate themselves from that group. Boy, I tell you, man, I believe that they were going against the very prayer of Jesus. His prayer was that his people would be united in heart and soul. This group of believers were united. The resurrection of Christ was the great equalizer of all of the people in this church. Now, do you know that we have some people in our church that are would be considered poor? How many of you guys know that? Do you know that we have some people in our church that would be considered rich? How many of y'all know that? And do you know that the rich and the poor sit down with equality and with love and with care for each other in the setting of Christ? That's how it's supposed to be. The poor don't look at the person driving in with a Cadillac or a Mercedes or or whatever, and they don't look at it with, with envy and jealousy and judgment. And the rich don't look at the people and say, well, what's wrong with those people? How can they still be poor? They just look at somebody and say, you're, you're a child of God. I, I'm a child of God. Let's celebrate. In fact, they help each other. They help each other. They love each other. Their love for one another transcends economic differences. Their love for one another it transcends educational differences. We have people in our church that have their doctorates and their masters and people that haven't graduated high school. And they're all on an equal playing field before God and they love each other and they should. There should be this tremendous unity in our church. Did you know that there are Democrats in our church? Did you know there's Republicans in our church? Part of the problem with the church in America, many of them anyways, is that all they want to do is reach people like them. Folks, the church is diverse. You're supposed to reach people that aren't like you. If you're only, listen, if you're only preaching to people like you, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. This church was united in heart and in soul. The gospel and the work of God in our lives should remove the stigma and status 
that we all carry on our backs every week. You know, in fact, before I get to they were generous, when, when Peter was admonishing women to dress modestly and he was talking about not wearing hair that was plated with gold and all these jewelries, and he's basically, guys, church is not a place to show off. It's not a place to show off. I mean, that, dude, that's partly why I'm wearing a polo shirt and jeans. I'm done showing off. Church is not a place to, to establish differences by status and politics and everything else. Church is a place to come and say, we believe in Christ crucified, risen again, the only source of salvation for the world. And then we can have constructive conversations with each other about those things that do touch our lives, that are considered political. We can have those conversations in the context of our unity in Christ. So we can look at the person that we might ordinarily say, oh, you're my opponent, but we look at them and say, you're my brother. Listen, I have a very dear person in my life. I love them to death, and they are opposite of me in almost every way. But you know what? I still love them. I still care for them. Folks, we need to learn to love one another like Jesus loves us. These people were generous. I don't know what's going on back there, brother. These people were generous. They cared for one another uh, by caring for one another. If we aren't careful, we get caught up and we forget that this early church, they had all things in common and they sold everything they have and they gave their, the, the finances to the apostles and they distributed to the necessity of the saints. And, and we're like, wow, that's amazing. And it is. Can I, can I just say this for a second, guys? Christians give. Christ's followers give. And when an angel got up here and he said, hey, maybe your next step in following Jesus is to begin to give through your local church. He's not kidding. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. That's the sign of a follower of Christ is that we open our hands and we say, Lord, everything I have is yours. What do you want me to give to support your ministry here? I'm going to give the first fruit, not the last one. I'm going to give the first dollar, not the last one. And then we walk by faith and we see that God is faithful to us as we're faithful and we give and he's faithful to us and God does amazing and wonderful things. They were generous, but the, here's the thing that we can miss out on so often if we're not careful that, that the generosity was not inspired by a beating. It was inspired by love. They loved Jesus and they loved one another. And so they gave. And so they were generous, and they cared. In Acts chapter 4, verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other Name for, for there is no other name under heaven given among men where, whereby you must be saved. And so the, the question is this. Have you started on the way? Number one, have you come to faith in Jesus? Because everything else is secondary. Everything else follows that. The way to eternal life is just Jesus alone. And then the way that other people find Jesus is as we follow the way. 
What does the world see in you? Is there a distinction? If, if, if Saul was coming to Hookset, would he have a hard time finding those people? If Saul went to your place of business, would he have a hard time finding out which ones were people of the way? If, if Saul went to your house, would he know that you were people of the way? If Saul looked at your marriage, would he know, oh, there's people of the way? If Saul looked at your relationship with your children, would he say, oh, there's people of the way? Is there a distinction? Is there generosity? Is there unity? Is there love in your home and in your church and for the lost and for the found? So if Paul came looking for you today, would he find you? Well, first of all, you've got to be found by Jesus. And so in the very beginning of the first message, I, I brought us to Genesis. And you bring up that last slide that says, Adam, where are you? Where are you today? What's your story? What is God doing in your life? What is he doing that people can see? What are you saying? Are you asking for boldness? Are you seeking unity? Oh man, how wonderful it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. That's what the Bible says. Do you love your church? Folks, church is not a gym. You don't come to it when you want to get in shape. You just come to it all the time because it's what you are and who you are. I always, I can't say always, from the time I was 17 or so, really since I truly got saved, I, I hate playing church. I don't want to play church. You won't find Emmanuel playing church. Maybe that's what makes us a little bit different and a little bit odd. We're not playing church. We are the church. And we love each other. And we care for each other. And I've seen that time and time and time again. And sadly, the devil comes in and he whispers in your ear. And because you are not walking hard and fast after Jesus, you listen to the whisperer. And you forget the amazing things and the wonderful things that God has done for you through your church. So please be aware. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God. Get out there and be the blessing.